Hello and welcome back to the With a Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Aaron. And we're here. That's right. Uh, we didn't. I didn't leave. I've been sitting in the same spot. Uh, I've been growing into my chair, staring at my wall, thinking about... <laughs> I assume this is the thing. I, I'm always in the cosmic nether regions of the wires that connect us to the internet. You sound really confident about that. (laughs) I don't, well, it's, I I was really stiked when I started it, but then I remembered most of this junk is all wireless now. So I kind (laughs) of shot myself in the foot there and then I didn't really know what to stand on after that. I feel like that, that is the, the, the mark of a true, well, I'm going to say this. It's either the mark of a true comedian or like, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it as I say it. I was going to say like <laughs> lo- kind of losing gas halfway through something. It's like, you know what? I had this premise in my head and I thought about it and like I had the train of thought in my head and then that was enough. And so <laughs> unfortunately, well, take my... one of each and call me in the morning. <laughs> That's right. It's the Vonnegutism, right? It's like, oh, you know, it I is. had that idea for the story and that idea is good enough. I don't have to write it. Yeah, it's uh, it's an idea. I'm good. I'm uh, yeah. I don't have to be Lynch and turn it into a cup of coffee or whatever he does. Uh, I think so. we can wrap the podcast right there because the lesson is we don't have to be Lynch. We don't have to be Lynch. <laughs> That's uh, the button. <laughs> but maybe, but maybe. But anyway, now we're going to talk about video games like normal. <laughs> so oh, those dope. Yep. All right, cool. But, I played one. I played a bunch. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I've been, I've been, uh, playing one in particular, but, um, Speaking yeah, it's of been kind of inside a, of something for the last week. I know it. Well, contrary to our conversation last week about like having those kind of wind down games, <laughs> I was, I was thinking, so this week, like my, I'm really busy in my personal life with getting ready you know, to be married. Um, and then thank you. And, uh, I've been busy at work and stuff. So typically I find that when I have those busy weeks, I like to curl up with either a kind of grindy game that I've played a million times where I can just Mm. kind of maybe listen to a podcast and play through it. Or I like to, um, watch a bunch of movies or like play a short game that I can just kind of uh, consume in one sitting. And I, I didn't really do any of that. I actually just continued playing Yakuza eight, which I can get into more, but it was, uh, it was the right thing to do. It was the right choice. So I'm glad I did it, even though I was kind of brain dead this week. Do you have a sense of what led you to gravitate towards that more so than your typical gaming haunts? I think, fear at first and then challenge. No, I think it was, um, (laughs) I think it was, uh, I, so the final fantasy seven rebirth demo came out and I haven't played any of that, but it made me remember that that game is going to be out after I'm married, like right after my wedding. And I was thinking, Oh, I want to have my like media docket completely free for that Mm. so i said i should continue playing yakuza so that by the time uh i'm i'm back and i have rebirth i'll be able to just kind of sit and totally uh tune into it and then i ended up totally tuning into yakuza so it worked out nice now help me understand this because i clocked you just referring to it as yakuza 8 
I've seen Mm. it and I feel like we talked about it last time as like a dragon, infinite wealth. So help me understand as someone outside the series, because I kind of assumed based on the way it was demoed at PAX uh, and kind of how it was talked about, that it was something like just a coda to or expansion on Yakuza 7. But it seems like as you talk about it, it's much more like its own full length standalone thing. So how does that work? Yeah, yeah. It's um, so it's uh. So there's a, a quick naming convention history of Yakuza. So um, in in Japan, it's called Yuga Gotoku, which means like a dragon. And it's always been called that. So it's not called Yakuza because selling a game called Yakuza in Japan <laughs> would be impossible. Um, right. So uh, it's about the Yakuza, but you can't have that on the front cover. So um, it's called like a dragon. And it's because uh, Kazuma Kiryu, the main character, Ryu, in his name is dragon and he's the dragon of dojima and there's all this history about dragons and yada yada um but it wasn't called like a dragon here because it was released at a time in the like late 90s early 2000s when uh western naming conventions for japanese games needed to be more blunt about what they were so mm. instead of calling it like a dragon which is this kind of you know metaphorical um <laughs> name for a game they just called it Yakuza. Like, I think uh-huh. the, the thinking behind it, I, I remember looking into this. <clears throat> the thinking behind it was that uh, Grand Theft Auto was huge. And that was, at the time, that was huge. Um, it was about gangsters and, and mobsters. So mm-hmm. the idea was like, all right, let's sell this Japanese game about the Japanese mafia in that vein. And then if you played it, you would be completely th- thrown off because of <laughs> its its interests, but mm. so it was it was Yakuza for us forever, and then when uh, Like a Dragon Seven came out, they did kind of a reboot um, or a refocus of the main character, so it's no longer Kiryu; it's it's Kasuga Ichiban, and. Uh, Sega America decided that because of that shift with point of view, it was a good time to shift the name of the series mm-hmm. confusingly to like a dragon. Uh-huh. So now in the West it's called like a dragon, but it's also like <laughs> Yakuza colon like a dragon. So sure. <laughs> Yakuza seven is Yakuza colon like a dragon. Yeah. Yakuza eight is like a dragon infinite wealth and the reason it's called infinite wealth Uh is because they're taking a page out of resident evil's playbook and the eight is on its side as the infinity symbol i did clock that that's so that's 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 cool but i didn't realize it was because it was that's what it was yeah yeah okay that makes sense yeah it's 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 the new like actual title in the the flagship or the the mothership as tails would call it right so here's a question that i have for you speaking of tails because i feel like you could throw a rock and hit three to five japanese series that have been localized into the west with yeah with (laughs) nuts naming histories Mm -hmm. um like as you know I, i think we've talked about this before but it came up on our last chat like tales of eternia in japan hilariously called tales of destiny 2 in the West, even though there is an actual sequel to the game called Tales of Destiny, which is Tales of Destiny 2 in Japan, which has nothing whatsoever to do with Tales of Eternia. Different characters, different world, different everything. Naturally. Yeah. Right. Which I've heard 
I think the story is kind of apocryphal. I've heard it two ways. One, because mm. like a different company had Eternia trademarked in the West, but then also because Tales of Destiny was the first game localized to the West. And so I've also heard it that Namco was concerned about like brand recognition if they right. tried to make it just tales of something totally different so they're like oh let's make the second one just tales of destiny 2 to have the name recognition in the west but sure. so i wonder like i hear about the equally nuts story of yakuza um and i think too about like the culture around games and especially game conversations between the east and west in the 90s versus where mm -hmm. they are nowadays and the broader adoption of things like interest in anime and jrpgs and stuff like that and i wonder do you you know given your background in japan do you feel like as their media is becoming more global are we going to reach a point where those series just get it right and have it unified the first time globally oh, yeah. or are there always going to be these mistranslations and weird histories i think well there's always going to be because uh we both love both cultures love puns there's always going to be mm. some instances where things don't work. Um, like uh, to bring it into the realm of anime, right? So it's called in, in English, it's called attack on Titan. Right. Yeah. Um, but the Japanese name is Shingeki no Kyojin. Right. And the, the null in that means belonging to, or of, or like a, it's a descriptor. So mm. really like the, um, the way that Japanese people would have read that is attack of the Titans or, um, Titan attack, or mm. as we realize attack as the pun, Titan. the attack Titan. Yeah. Right. So, um, that's something where like, that's always going to happen. Like little things like that, but or rebirth, I think, right. More, uh, or re more yeah. recently. Yeah. Rebasu. Yeah. Reverse rebirth. Right. Um, so that's always, that's always going to happen just because of like, I think fun nuances of the translations, but I do think that we're past the point of, we need to rename this because it doesn't make sense. I think now, um, at least over in like in the States and in the West more broadly, I think we're so more aware of Japanese culture that I think Japanese developers in particular are more comfortable just saying like, just, just send them what we have. They'll mm. get it, you know? Yeah. And I think like that, that's changed, um, gradually, but also incrementally over the past, like 30 years, even where mm. like the fact that, um, Ghost of Tsushima was like the most popular game in Japan and it was by a Western developer. I think they kind of were like, Oh, they kind of know what they, they get it just send them what we have, you know? <laughs> so I think that's, that's where we are now, but I think there's always going to be the fun little quirks, like the attack on Titan thing. That's cool. Yeah. I hadn't realized that Ghost of Tsushima was so big over there. That's they really loved neat. it. Yeah. Huh. The, um, the Tsushima Island and like the surrounding little like islets, yep. they got like a ton of tourism off that game. So they have oh, wow. like all kinds of love for sucker punch, putting that game, uh, that game together so oh yeah it's so cool yeah. that's one that's on my uh never-ending list of games from the last few years to get to when i have a spare couple hundred hours and they finally get made a good assassin's creed game i can say that <laughs> <laughs> it only took uh however many titles and however many developers right yeah and a totally different studio but right whatever. exactly <laughs> don't but, think about it too hard 
I know. I think I that is an interesting like the um the naming convention thing because I remember I had a conversation like this in my Japanese class when I lived in Japan when we were talking about um we were talking about movie titles and I wish I could remember the title that we were talking about but we got to the point where it was like um oh oh okay it was like uh the the movie was like crimes and misdemeanors. That's the high crimes and misdemeanors. But, um, the Japanese name was like basically a sentence describing what happened in the movie (laughs) and, (laughs) um, or like the pitch for it. Yeah. And, uh, the same was true of like, I think master and commander. Um, Mm. but then like, uh, my, my sensei was like, why? So then why, why is it just called, star wars like the japanese name for star wars is star wars right and i was like well i guess because there's not a whole lot of interpretation with that one like it's a star war you know (laughs) like master and commander could mean a billion things so you need to narrow it down in the japanese but star wars is like it's a star war that you're seeing (laughs) so (laughs) so ridiculously novel that there's no way to be confused about it yeah exactly so i don't know i i think that uh there's a whole uh, there's been books written about like localization and translation and why people make those choices. But I think uh, we're largely past it um, because man, you look back and like you look back in the nineties, we always joke about like jelly donuts and anime, right? Like <laughs> yeah, the onigiri yeah, yeah, yeah. jelly donuts. But right. um, I was playing the, uh, the first persona on PlayStation Hmm. And I didn't realize that they very deliberately made it seem like the town that you're in is like in America. And I was like, this does not work. (laughs) This is awful. (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, there's a reason they didn't do that in the PSP re-release where they're like, all right, Uh people get it. It's in Japan. (laughs) Like, why are we hiding it? That's interesting though, because I like, I kind of feel like it goes both ways and I wonder whether for the reasons you're talking about, we've also lost the potential for this kind of charm because something like Earthbound, right? Like mm. a game that got a different localized title, a game that also had like a really kind of 90s specific like localized perception from outside of America on ideas mm. of like small town Americana, things like that, right? Um, and I wonder whether for the reasons you're talking about, that's kind of like, a historical object now rather than something that could be, you know, remade or developed in modern times. That's a really good question. I think, um, did you follow any of the, um, weird, uh, like hullabaloo around the silent hill Two remake? No. That happened recently. So no, and it's the still man. People basically, you know, Oh, it looks like it's, um, like more action oriented and you know, James looks weird and what are they doing? And it's, it just, it weirdly feels bummed because thing is different. Yeah, exactly. And, um, putting that aside, cause I think that's going to be interesting no matter what. Mm. Um, I do, I do wonder like maybe silent Hill, maybe it's not as effective. We always say like silent Hill one and two are so effective for, the story and then the hardware limitations that made mm. things look a certain way. Um, but maybe it's also that they were made by 
a Japanese development team trying to make an American horror movie. And that particular mm. lens was so specific that now that we have like a more globalized team putting those huge games together, we can't really get that. Yeah. Maybe the same with Earthbound where it's like this fun confluence of commentary on top of commentary being translated and then retranslated mm. through the lens of joke writing <laughs> is such a particular <laughs> right. product that you can't just do that again. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm. It kind of seems like a Kojimaism too, when you put it that way. And I wonder whether it'd mm. be an interesting lens through which to look at like his oeuvre, right? Because I feel like even in the the different eras and stuff he's been working in, he's kind of lived through several iterations of that development and globalization process, you know? Definitely. To the point where I feel like he's now he's kind of relishing the auteurship thing because uh, the Death Stranding 2 trailer that came out that it kind of sparked my favorite debate online, which is um, if you don't like this, I don't think you like video games <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> because it was like uh, this little like the best way I can describe it is it's like a little puppet scarf that has like hands and fingers that lights a cigarette for a woman around her neck. And it's like, okay. you know, that's such a Kojima idea yeah. and it's such a particular thing. And like uh -huh. the whole discourse around it was either you are in love with this or you think it's the stupidest thing or both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> both is good. I could see both yeah. sides of that. <laughs> yeah. This is awful. And I love it to death. Yes. Give me more of this weird stupidity Kojima. I love it. <laughs> You beautiful madman. Oh man. It's like my, my deepest expression of love for Kojima is my longstanding desire to play death stranding, uh, combined with my inability to sit down and play death stranding. I feel like that's, yeah, I, I had that with his, uh, with his book too, where like, it's been on my shelf forever and yeah. I just like, I keep trying to go to it and I don't know, there's something, I don't know if I'm worried that like the mystique will go away. Like if I read something that he's actually written, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like meant to be consumed like that. I don't know. I know. What I, you mean. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I felt that way before. Sometimes like, um, some musicians I know, especially smaller ones have written mm. like kind of memoirs accounting for themselves or their creative process. And it almost is a little man behind the curtain. Like on the one hand, I love that you think about your process enough to talk about it. On the other hand, like, as you say, there's a certain amount of mystique. Like I know um, before we started rolling, you were talking about the idea of a series like Yakuza meeting mm -hmm. you at times in your life when you need that exact game and don't even realize it consciously. Yeah. And I feel like there is a, a special kind of magic to just like sitting down and experiencing something in a way that it just washes over you kind of exactly because you see it as a sort of almost mystical object rather than something that is the the result of a single man psyche or something like that. So, I <laughs> yeah, but you know, you got to feed the auteur beast too. So I see both sides. It's true. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll do, uh, I'll do all his stuff by the time I'm dead. So that'll be good. That's my goal. <laughs> it's all <laughs> stuff. But yeah, you'll finish the Kojima oeuvre on the death stranding, which I think is what he wants. So that's what I'm, I'm going for. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, on the topic of, of Yakuza kind of circling back to that. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I like, I have been very emotional playing it and, um, it's funny cause like sometimes, and I, I know just from our conversations that you've had games like this where, 
you'll play a game and you won't even realize that it's like something that you needed to explore. Um, yeah. Like I remember you felt that way when you played Nino Kuni, right? Where it was mm -hmm. like this, this thing that just kind of like grabbed you and, and took you into its world and yes. really spoke to you at a time that like, it's not like you were looking for a story like that. It just kind of found you. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I was really excited to play this because I loved um, Yakuza 7 like a dragon <laughs> so much. <laughs> um, and I love the character of Ichiban Kasuga so much. And um, I was just excited to go into it. But then what I, what I found, which surprised me, was I... The, the total opposite of what I was expecting to happen happened. So I went into this game knowing that Kiryu is back. And the story of Yakuza is that up to this point, through a series of many, many different things, he um, had faked his death and everybody, th everybody thought he was dead. Um, except us, of course, and the secret shadow organization in Japan. <laughs> and... Uh, what we come to find out is that he's kind of doing this mission that intersects with Ichiban again. And I knew that coming into it. And I remember thinking, Oh, what a, what a step back. Like, Oh, that, that feels like kind of lame to me that they're bringing mm -hmm. him back because the last game was so beautifully, um, a passing of the torch to this new character and these, this new group and this new focus with the dissolution of the Yakuza alliances and things like this, that I really felt like, man, like bringing Kiryu back, I feel like that kind of does a disservice to him. I feel like it does mm -hmm. a disservice to Ichiban and the, the new group. And, you know, so I had all of these ideas and yeah. I went into it thinking like, not, Oh, I'm going to be won over by it, but that's something I'll have to put up with. And of course, the Kiryu stuff is my favorite stuff that they've done in any Yakuza game. And I feel like such a schmuck for doubting them because the story is literally like, um, it is, it is the most mature and emotional, but, but realistically emotional look at, what happens to an archetype when he's at the end of his story? Mm. And it's so beautiful because the series has been going on for 25-ish years, and the timeline of Yakuza has been going on for about 40 years. So Kiryu's like in his 60s, and mm. so much has happened to him. And what I find so precious about this game is that they meticulously craft things that were important to players, but reflectively important to Kiryu that you get to see through his eyes, but only after the people who he's affected explain to him why it's not fair for him to not care about them mm. or I'm sorry, to not care about himself mm -hmm. where it's like you do us a disservice by claiming you don't mean anything. So wow. if the only way that you can find meaning is through the meaning you give others, mm -hmm. 
Mm. Stop being so selfish and take care of yourself because we love you. Wow. And it's just so powerful at every turn. And I, I love it. It's, it's made me cry many times <laughs> and, uh, I just, yeah, it hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm not looking for that validation in my own life right now, but it is the exact story that I needed to play at this point in my life. <laughs> so mm. it's been really lovely. I love that. Yeah. It sounds, uh, I wasn't expecting that point of comparison, but I've been really enjoying in the last few months, uh, something really similar with the tales games, because mm. I think I, I can't, I can't think off the top of my head of other DLC that is really this directly concerned with that idea, but really with both the DLC that they put out for tales of arise and then for the whole fourth act that I've been working through that they added to tales of graces a few years after its release, those are both like additional stories that are quite directly concerned with that idea you're talking about of, okay, after a hero has had their arc uh, and brought their mm. character development to fruition and you've helped them complete everything that they set out to do. Life goes on. And what do you do with that? And how do you make sense of your role in the world where the role that you were meant to fulfill has reached its expiration date? Um, yeah. And I, I wonder whether that's maybe just something that's deeply human since we all go through so many transitions in our lives, or if maybe there is something more modern in the water about that it's like i'm i'm called to mm. like especially with these japanese games right i go back to something you told me about that was really interesting when we were over in japan that i wasn't really aware of because you know the idea of being a company man uh who works mm. for a single place his whole life is something that has been so ingrained in the culture for so long but you were also talking about how that's kind of falling by the wayside with the modern era and people are kind of giving into more of the gig economy in the way that we've been familiar in the West for a long time. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I can imagine, especially if that's just emerging in a society that is so skewed the other way in terms of the structure of work and then deriving a lot of one's value and structure in life from the nature of one's work that maybe there is a certain sense of disillusionment where, okay, if I'm, if I'm more kind of, transient with the work that I do uh, and how I earn my living on a day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month or year-to-year -year basis. Like, how do I make sense of my place in the world and my value and feel confident that I'm contributing to society and my family and the things I care about, you know? I do. And I think that, so last week you asked me like, you know, or, or you had made the point that you've heard before about Yakuza that it's like, it's an adult series of games yeah. and not in the sense that there's like sex and drugs in it, but that it's catered towards it's catered towards adults in a way that, you know, maybe like a final fantasy kind of rides the line, you know? And I think that what I'm finding in this story is last week I mentioned, I talked about like, Oh, wouldn't it be beautiful to imagine that these archetypes existed and that they had, the effect yeah. that they do in stories, but in reality. And I think that what this game is doing, which is something that I, I love so much is that it's providing a continuation in a story where like, t if you take Kiryu, for example, Kiryu, 
um, he has this beautiful line where he said, or no, somebody says of him, you were always so strong that you, you never understood that you could ask for help. Mm. And it's kind of this, to me, it's the story of him realizing not just that, but that this idea that he had in his head that is kind of driven by the archetype that, that defines him is that I'm going to have a meaningful death. Like I'll have an honorable death. That'll be the thing that defines me and that gives mm. me a legacy. But the thing about that is Kiryu has been a character in these games for 30 years. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. ev- and so he is in this story basically thinking about all of the people who have died, who he loved. And he's saying like, I was always so headstrong. I never expected I would be the one tending graves. Mm -hmm. And he is just kind of coming to terms with the fact that like life continues after these things. And a lot of the characters in the game are kind of directly speaking to him and saying like, you know, kind of like the, the episode, uh, the last episode of Bojack where he's kind of like scared about relapsing. And he says, what if I, what if I have to, you know, what if I, what if I drink again? And Todd tells him very wisely, like, then you'll quit again. And then it'll just be another day after that. And that story is very present here where people who are kind of like these bygone, um, statues almost of a time that doesn't exist anymore are, coming to terms with the fact that like it's okay to keep living and you don't Mm -hmm. have to die with the thing that you represent or that you think you represent. Like you can just, Mm -hmm. you can just do something else. (laughs) And I think that that's, (laughs) that's very mature, especially as a reward for these characters that are so beloved. And I think that it's just very cool to see. And it, you know, I feel like I have egg on my face because I really was like, oh man, like I feel like he got the reward of like, his story ending, but I was, I didn't realize how cruel that was to this character for me to be like, mm. don't dig him back. It's like, no, he sh- <laughs> life goes on. He should have closure with people. He should see the fruits of his labors. Like why, why not? Like he, he's a hero. He should, <laughs> why, why should yeah. the hero kind of die in silence? So I think, uh, it's, it's just been a very fun experience. Mm. And I feel like that's one of those great experiences too, where, um, you know, I, I know we think and talk about this all the time, both from the writer's perspective and the reader's perspective, like the magical thing about characters with enough meat on their bones is whether you're writing a new chapter in their lives or sitting down and digesting something new, you can discover things that you always kind of knew about the character, but you never mm. knew that you knew about them. Um, that can be one of the most rewarding surprises, I think, especially for characters who have meant a lot to you in stories over the years. It's really cool. And I think, uh, uh, something that is made all the more special for a game series that hasn't, um, you know, it's, it's done a lot of different things over the time that it's been around, but it hasn't Mm. done like a like a devil may cry DMC reboot kind of situation. <laughs> like it's, it's been the same story and the same characters and this lore is yeah. so it's long and, and, uh, and detailed that it uses that to its advantage. And I think that that's, it's a, it's a different way to explore a lot of the themes that we're excited about in like tales or Pokemon, 
where it's like, okay, here's these entries in these series that are looking at themes and character types from different angles. And it's cool that like, this is a series that is doing similarly interesting things, but with the same timeline, the same world, the same people for 30 years, something that so I feel how like would only you situate <laughs> that relative to like other storytelling media, because I, I do, I feel like, I don't know if it's just because of the lengths of games or perhaps mm. the lengths of their development cycle, but I do feel like that's relatively rarer than you might get in something like a novel series or a TV series or what have you. And I know that one of the many, many things you've said about Kingdom Hearts over the years that has really stuck with me is the idea that it, with its eternally unfolding timeline or mm -hmm. timelines, plural, however you want to cash it out, is almost like a soap opera in terms of the yeah. way in which that's represented uh, and people are asked to engage with it. Do you feel like there's something similar with Yakuza? Is it more of like an epic odyssey? What's the what's the right way to think of it in terms of long-running stories? It's a good question. I, timelines. I, I do feel like it's it does turn into maybe Odyssey is a better term because it's, you know, looking at something that extends well past the original thing for so long. And it just keeps mm. it. I think, I think the difficult thing for me is, um, and kingdom hearts is the, the closest analog that I would give to the Yakuza series for me in the sense that it, a, um, is completely contained within itself and it, it doesn't, um, do the reboots or the soft reboots or anything like that. Um, completely contained within itself besides all the final fantasy and Disney stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's contiguous to its own story, but, um, the, the other thing is that, um, and this is important. I said this to you in Japan that kingdom hearts endures i think because it never is tongue-in-cheek about itself and mm -hmm. the same is true of yakuza where it's like this it's the similar kind of really quirky silly uh world but um it allows itself to be that way because life is that way and mm. life also throws melodrama and uh, you know, horror and tragedy and ecstasy and all of these wonderful things, they all exist in, I would say both stories, right? Both Kingdom Hearts and, mm. and Yakuza. And I think that a, a really important part of it is that it never, it never looks down on any part of itself. It's always, um, taking itself seriously and kind of engaging with itself as it's unfolding. And I feel like that's something that I, I can't really think of too many things that do that. And you mentioned novels and I feel like maybe, maybe like book series are maybe the only equivalent that I can think of. Like, like I'm thinking of like Sherlock Holmes, right? Like the yeah. stories of, of Holmes, like those, I think even when he goes over the Reichenbach falls, he's, he, that wasn't a shark jump. Like that was very much <laughs> something that happened to Sherlock Holmes that Arthur Conan Doyle wish had stuck, but it didn't. So, you know, well, things like I was, that. I was even mentioning the term Odyssey quite directly because the way you talk about it, it puts me in mind of the kind of 
know, long running Homeric saga that kind of evolves with these Greek characters over the mm-hmm. history and mythology of Greece and also evolves as best as I think historians understand it with the culture in which it's being told, right? A big part of that was that it was in the oral tradition. And so as the times changed and people engaged with it in different ways, so too would the narrative continue to unfold and evolve. And I'm, I'm gap filling because I'm not a, a classicist, but it sounds <laughs> like in terms of what you're discussing, it's like, it's something that takes itself equally seriously, not just as a story, but as a kind of like, something that is almost being self-consciously made as a historical object in the sense that it Mm. is like creating this sort of serious high art that is directly engaging with and embedded in the the times in which it was created like you talked about how this one exists post-covid right something like that strikes me as as very much in that same vein of creative thinking well i and i i totally agree with you because another thing that i think i think this is like a so i something can be true and pedestrian at the same time. And that doesn't mean that I'm I'm looking down on it necessarily, but I think that like, um, a, a, a boring read of like the Sopranos is that the Sopranos is about the decline of American like civilization, right? Like this idea that the mob is a, is a, um, kind of, uh, supplanted, object for America post-World War II. Like, okay, we get it, right? Sure. Like, I, I yeah. agree. That is definitely there. <laughs> but I think the the interesting thing is more like what they do with it. Similarly, I think Yakuza is a really interesting kind of real-time parallel of um, the Japanese, like, look at itself and the world as things have changed because... Um, Kiryu talks about himself in terms of like, oh, I, I did that during the bubble or mm. that was really big during the bubble. He doesn't say the eighties, yeah. right? He, he defines himself by a time when the Yakuza, just like the Japanese economy was at the top of everything. And yeah. he finds meaning through things outside of that but his timeline is so directly connected to that, that he has to put his own personal history in terms of like the Japanese economy and how Mm. laws have changed Mm. and how views on sexuality and um, like xenophobia have changed too. Like Mm. Kiryu and Ichiban for that matter, the main characters of Yakuza, I should say, uh, Goro Majima is like this too. Um, Any character that you play as, they're all very much these ciphers for understanding like the, I think like the every, the every man kind of, of Japan, like, Mm. where do I fit in? What am I doing? Where am I going? Um, what am I owed? What do I owe people? Like, you know, very human ideas that can really only be, I think, interestingly and completely explored in the way that Yakuza is laid out, which as you say, is like this saga of, of this person's life that we see reflect history, reflect the kind of weird, um, canted angle history that we get in the Yakuza series that is very Mm. close to reality, but not quite, you know, it's, it's this thing that is so particular and so special that, um, I think realistically, like the only other thing that I think would make sense to compare it to is either, you know, like a late night show (laughs) that's existed (laughs) for like 30 years. Um, 
or a novel series that someone has had complete creative control over for like 35 years, you know? And I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very special in that regard. It's, it's hard to kind of slot it into something. You know, it's funny to me hearing you talk about this because it's not a comparison I antecedently had in mind, but, um, for, for those who I guess don't know who are listening, you're also a super fan of Neo, the, uh, yeah. the Koei Tecmo games that are grounded in historical Japan. And I feel like there is something interesting to me, Aaron, the philosopher who is not historically minded at all in the <laughs> idea that these different game series like have some kind of interesting DNA in common, despite being so many eras apart in terms of telling these pretty detailed and pretty personal and emotional stories of protagonists whose lives are you know, deeply relatable and anchored by the events that happen in anyone's lives, but are also, as you say, grounded and enmeshed in the historical events that are happening around them and that they're participating in, right? I feel like it's it's really interesting to have games or I guess media in general as those kind of dual lenses to be able to have that kind of interactive engagement with a single person's life and imagining yourself taking those actions both in deep history and also in the here and now or just a couple yeah. decades ago, right? And juggling those two perspectives. I, I, I think that's really interesting because it opens up like and this would be this would be the the way that I would choose to do like a close reading of mm. different titles in the Yakuza series, where it's like, okay, is this a Yakuza game where they are reflecting on biases and weird uh, like quirks of Japanese culture that they have an issue with, or are they? is this a game where they are in real time processing what's happening? Mm. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is because this infinite wealth feels like the latter where it's like, okay, we're in a post COVID world. Things are really different. There's not a criminal element that we can see. Really. The Yakuza feels like a thing of the past. Um, there's this sense that Japan doesn't really exist on the world stage outside of tourism and, you know, and entertainment. Um, because that's another part of this story is all about like, uh, nuclear waste and getting back into nuclear power, which is really interesting. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, so that to me feels like an, like a, like a what if story with things that people are wrestling with. Yeah. Whereas, um, one of the big things that I, I loved it until it became a problem I had with, uh, like a dragon Ishin, um, the story that takes these Yakuza characters and puts them in the roles of historical figures like Sakamoto Ryoma, um, who is the real last samurai, right? Um, the, uh, or one, or one of them, we talked about Saigo, the last, right. last samurai, but Sakamoto Ryoma was friends with him. I think I told you the story when we were in Ueno, mm -hmm. but, um, the, uh, that story, like a dragon Ishin is like, a very particular slice of history and it's very much like <clears throat> celebrating the samurai spirit and like the Japanese way of life and all of these things that, you know, brought Japan into the modern world. And, 
the foundation of, of modern day thinking. And it interrogates a lot of it. And it's, it's smartly kind of questions, Hey, is this actually okay? Like, is this really how we look at things historically? And then at the end, like, I remember (laughs) while I was playing it, I was reading all of these articles that were like, this is really, um, like nationalistic. I'm like, nah, I don't know about that. Then you get to the end of it and Sakamoto Ryoma, the character that is like Kiryu, right? He just like flat out is like, Japan will never die and we're the best and everything. (laughs) Like it's, it's shocking. And so I, I really like, I was laughing and I sat with it for a while and I'm like, okay, was that, I need to know, was that on purpose? Like this is, a fantasy because we deliberately put it in a, in a kind of semi mythical past, or is yeah. this what we really think? And this is how yeah. we're kind of like, you know, this is how you should have been seeing Yakuza through this lens. And <laughs> I was like, no, no, it's gotta be, it's gotta be somewhere in the middle. So I'm still wrestling with that, but it's, it's something that I don't think I could do if this game, you know, if this game series stopped in like 2012, right. I feel like mm. I would be like, well, I know what that's about now but now it's like it's this ongoing thing where i'm like man who who's what <laughs> where are they coming from with this i, have I feel a like that's ideas. even that's like a harder thing to do with the structure of the series that you're talking about though because like if it were me trying to decode that with you know one of the games that i play i would like you know maybe give it a new game plus and try to pay attention to all of the <laughs> things that i didn't think of the first time but yeah. you with something like yakuza i feel like that becomes like a freaking you know, multi-decade odyssey, speaking of odyssey, yeah, your yeah. own odyssey of like a detective journey to decode like the intentions of these what creators across, yeah, their various <laughs> games in this whole history and timeline of like, okay, were you, were you being like, you know, secretly nationalistic the whole time? Were you tongue in cheek and winking and nodding and I just missed yeah. all the signals? Like, are you, what are, are you, you trying saying, to tell me? <laughs> are, you, are you saying that some of it's okay if you don't go this way? Like, what, what does it mean? <laughs> but I, but then it does like, again, like super interesting things. Like um, uh, one of the things that happens in this game is that as Kiryu, when, you're, when you have control over him, you can go throughout these different places and uh, there are like these little points of reminiscence that you can sit and kind of, he remembers something that happened in Mm. one of the Yakuza games Mm. and um, the kind of like alternate universe stories, like the Sakamoto Ryoma one, like a dragon Ishin, he remembers it. But what's so funny is like, he calls out the historical inconsistencies when he's remembering (laughs) it, where he's like, um, Oh yeah, like I seeing that reminds me of that dream I had where I was the Sakamoto Ryoma and for some reason I joined the Shinsengumi, but he he wouldn't have done that. And like he calls wow. it out where he's like that's so he, fun. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Like why would he have done right. it? It must have been a really <laughs> weird dream, you know? It's like so interesting. Like where does it wow. stop and start? So oh, back yeah. to the back to the it's always sunny corkboard for me. That's right. <laughs> this is how conspiracy theories start, seriously. I know. Oh man, it's but, like it's the most fun thing to have that many layers of narrative to try to unpack, but it is almost like that. It's, it's, it's like the perfect and most frustrating poster child for why it's impossible to have like one end all be all interpretation for any of this stuff. Exactly. And I think that's, that's where I kind of like, you know, I do what I did with that Zemnis article a few years ago where it's like, all right, for, for the purposes of this, we're just going to be looking at this title, you know, like, Let's just look at these things. And I think that like, you know, I mean, how often, cause I've, I've read most of your 
uh, Tales of Praxis articles for games that I've played. And I feel like, how often are you like, okay, I could easily make like a million connections here, but I don't want to muddle my point with this title. I had to decide to stop writing my last article because I (laughs) saw a decision point where I could have taken what I had written and synthesized and applied it to probably specific characters with very complex and singular arcs from at least three other games, but the Mm. article would have been at least four times as long. Uh, So always suffice to say, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it's another aspect of what we were saying in terms of like, you know, the difficulty of finding or the impossibility of finding one end all be all interpretation. I think this is something we both think about a lot, right? So much more often, I find it to be more useful in these Tales of Praxis articles, and I'm sure with a lot of work that you're doing, to just be clear in terms of going from your experience with the game to asking some clear question that you want answered. So, for instance, like, okay, does my journey with this character feel like it is motivating me towards nationalism or not, and why is Mm -hmm. that, rather than asking some more abstract question that detaches from your actual engagement and curiosity with the game and therefore becomes much more intractable right away. You know, that's tough, but I, I know exactly what you mean where you almost, sometimes you, you really do have to step back and say, okay, I'm putting too much of my, my play experience in this, uh, reading that I'm doing because obviously you want to have that in there to inform what you're talking about. But I do think you run the risk of, when I was playing this, my synapses lit up and I thought of like 18 different things. And when I, when I try to write that out into a cohesive paragraph, it just sounds Mm. like word salad or something that makes Mm. no sense or that I'm insane. (laughs) Well, you are insane, but set that to the side. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still put together something that's cogent. (laughs) I mean, that's, um, that's, that's the thing that like people have different problems with like how to, think about games or how to, you know, communicate an argument or whatever. And I know that mine, uh, one of my many difficulties is exactly what you're talking about with the idea that like, especially when you're talking or thinking about something that you love, Mm. uh, and when it's in something as diverse as storytelling media, right. Where, I mean, think about this conversation, we're talking about Yakuza, but we've connected it to anime and kingdom hearts and Mm -hmm. attack on Titan, any number of things, right. The odyssey, um, (laughs) Like I, I especially nowadays have to bully myself into being as narrow and specific in what I want to ask and look at as possible and Mm. just trust that even if it looks like in my mind's eye, that's going to be something I can answer in two sentences, like teasing out that single thread will end up connecting in informative ways to a lot of the other things I'm interested in. And even if there are a billion other threads left on the table, those are things that you can pick up later and see if they can connect or not, right? Like my last article for Tales of Praxis was just starting with the question of, okay, this character feels out of place in a way that Mm -hmm. I think is interesting. I'm just going to look at this character and his arc and try to understand what that says about the game. And uh, of course it blew up from there because it's going to, right? Uh, but that at least you know gives you a point of orientation and place to get started. Whereas even now, like um, uh, speaking of the Tales games you've played, 
I forget whether I told you this, but the next thing that I'm gearing up to work on is Tales of Zisteria and Berseria, which mm. is really exciting, but it's the kind of idea that is just ripe for overwriting and over, let's say, over tendralizing in the way that you're talking about. Because yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think about like, okay, what is what is the structure and relationship between these two games as a duology in terms of what they're trying to express about what it takes to um, act ethically in a world and arrive mm. at the possibility of ethics, which is a focused question, but especially when you're trying to ask you know, relatively abstract questions like that or about nationalism and Yakuza through um, artifacts that express themselves in narrative, which is necessarily multidimensional and emotionally rich with a lot of different things to look at and focus on. It's like the more abstract and untethered to the narrative your starting question is with something like uh, you know, nationalism or ethics or something like that, the easier it is to kind of fall away in a million different directions when you're looking Absolutely. at the different evidentiary points that you want to bring into the conversation. I feel like a an easy an easy way that I used to kind of try to ground myself is okay i have this idea because i mean we're talking like you know okay ethics or like nationalism right all right if i want to take a look at nationalism that's so huge i can't do that right I, yeah. maybe i would try and then i would fail and then <laughs> uh, go in a million different directions the way that i would kind of ground myself is like okay well let's look at it from maybe a um like a critical lens like okay looking at nationalism through the lens of like Marxist analysis or like literary analysis or, you know, something like that where it's like, okay, let's try to take out a particular toolbox to look at this sure. big idea. But now existing method. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now I feel like that that's still too broad for me where mm. I try to go narrow, like you say, where it's like, if I'm interested in something, I want to look at, Maybe there's like a broad overarching thing that I want to look at, but I'm going to laser focus on very particular things that I can just kind of like live in for a little bit yeah. and then draw those connections back to the big thing. So mm -hmm. maybe if I were to do something on like, you know, nationalism, nationalism and Yakuza, I would want to look at like, okay, let's look at Kiryu at three different points in his life, you know, mm -hmm. and say like, how would he react to certain things? And I feel like yeah. that would that would ground me to talk about it in a way that wouldn't be sprawling and uninteresting. <laughs> yeah, because the hook is like a look at Kiryu three three different ways, right? Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's like it's challenging. And like you said, I think when you lean on your personal experience with the game, especially when your synapses are firing in a million different directions, it can kind of be disorienting from the inside especially since it's harder to sort of look at your synapses and inner mind for textual confirmation rather than looking at the <laughs> textual content of the game itself right you don't really have a third party point of validation but mm. i think like i think for me that's one of the things that has been so challenging but rewarding about digging further into video games over the years is this idea that like I was talking about this on the Tales of Praxis stream earlier this week. Like you start out thinking about art and wanting to study and analyze and talk about art, especially when it's interactive like video games. And I think so many of us, because it's interactive and it's personal and it's a summation of our decisions across this experience that has narrative meaning for us, we want to just 
take the whole sum of our experience with the game and then impose that experience as the once and final meaning of the game. And if you played through the game and felt something different, then you misunderstood the game, right? I think that's where a lot of us start when we start talking about this stuff. And then I feel like the next step, which is much harder to negotiate, but I think very important and the heart of what we're talking about right now is this idea of recognizing like, well, the intuition that my personal experience is central to how I think about this game is right. Mm. But the really special thing, especially games with these rich stories, is that you know, 10 different people can sit down and play the same game, make different choices, make the same choices. You know, Based on what they bring to the table, they're going to have very different experiences and different takes with the game. And so the magic, I think, is figuring out how to articulate and share your personal experience with the game in a way that someone else who's played it can understand and recognize and look to the text of the game, look to that object and say, wow, I didn't see that in the game, but how cool that you did. And I get something about your perspective on the game and the world. And I also get a new way through which to experience it myself. So it's additive, right? And I think once you're able to do that uh, and figure out how to trust in that kind of way of, as you say, grounding your interest in exploring a game in just whatever your attention is drawn to during the game, because that's part of what constitutes and defines your experience with it. Then like, I think for me, at least in my recent work, that's been the first step towards narrowing and articulating what I want to talk about, because it's like, if a game has various through lines of themes that it's concerned with, uh, or things that it wants to say, like, The dirty little secret is if it's a well-composed and cohesive work of art, those themes and ideas are probably going to come through in every part of it in one way or another. And so it's like, it's kind of like you can't go wrong so long as you are tuned into sort of your inner compass of where your interest in the game is taking you, even in, you know, little and measurable things in terms of like, which quests you're most tuned into, right? Or which side quests you just can't put down, junk like that. And then asking yourself at the end, like, and what was it that drew me in about that one part? And sometimes I feel like even for me, it's like, it's not so much starting with a question as big as nationalism or ethics or whatever. Uh, sometimes it's flipping the script and reversing it and saying like, man, I was so taken with that one moment in a game. And I, I feel like, like my brain gets it, but it's not willing to tell me why, you know? So I want to <laughs> like, I want to uncover what it was about that moment. Like there was this thing, um, that I'll probably write about at some point or another in Tales of Grace's F. And I don't want to spoil it for you because I really, I look forward to you playing it at some point. Mm -hmm. But the final confrontation in the fourth act uh, is against, to put it in very general terms, it's against like your typical cosmic scale JRPG enemy. And then as soon as that confrontation is done, it flips it on its head and turns it into the most intimate, small heartbreaking like character to character moment you could imagine Mm -hmm. in a way that just totally broke me and i was not expecting um so things like that where you find yourself reacting in ways that you weren't even prepared for sort of like you said you weren't prepared for yakuza 8 in terms of what it was that it it wanted to dwell on and you were so charmed and blown away by that Uh, and just following that kind of curiosity not just about the game itself but about your reactions and asking like wow what was it about my interaction with this Mm -hmm. object that led me to feel this way like sniffing out and understanding that i think is a good formula for helping to understand your own engagement with the game better and if you can do that 
then I think it's almost a foregone conclusion that you're going to get a different and more illuminating perspective on the game itself. I really like what you said about, you know, if the game is well put together, then you're going to see that, that theming throughout the entire story. Right. And I think that where I would stumble, especially when I would try to write something and what I found a lot of success in, like even now when I'm writing something is the hyper focus on like one thing, like I want to put a pin in Roche from final fantasy (laughs) seven because uh, what I, what I found was a roadblock for me was because I recognized that and that it was so thematically rich. I wanted to talk about everything that related to it. Right. But that's just not doable. And it, it just kind of clouds your point to the point where I think you can make your, your point so much more interesting if you do focus on like just a couple of things or one thing and, and really kind of flesh Mm -hmm. out, as you say, why your brain glommed onto it before you did. And something that I'm really pleased about is like, that um i think when for those of you that don't remember when final fantasy 7 remake came out uh the character roche who shows up for one chapter um <laughs> was not liked very much in the in the discourse and i was like man <laughs> i loved him so much and i was like oh, i gotta write about him and so i did like a really deep dive on what i thought he meant and why his inclusion was so interesting and um it's just fun that uh, I think what I know you've found this too, Aaron, like on occasion when we get that kind of like hyper fixation on something, people will come back to that and like, they'll, they'll find out about that from their brain later than we did. Yeah. And like now I was so excited. Cause like in the, tra- the latest trailer for no, no, it wasn't even a trailer. It was like a promotional art piece that was like a like a splash page for Final Fantasy yeah. VII Rebirth. And like you can just make out Roche in the background. And <laughs> this this guy, like this guy on Twitter just like cropped it and like enhanced it and was just like, the boys are back in town. I love it. <laughs> so oh excited God. that he's there. <laughs> the gang is getting back together. That's yeah, right. Sometimes it just takes people a while, you know, they get there. Yeah. But I think like that to me is like refreshing in the sense of like, all right, I'm not, I'm not like a, maybe I am a lunatic for other reasons, but not for that. Like I, I, you know, I saw something there that, you know, people, people also saw or maybe they, they agreed with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So (laughs) I've been getting that recently over the last little while and I don't know what's in the water, but I guess it's just a testament to Miyazaki being brilliant about this stuff uh, with mm. my article that I did for Elden Ring back when we did that panel on Elden Ring, which was yeah, yeah. amazing to me because that is like, you you might or might not remember it, but it was a pretty heavily meta-narrative piece thinking about like the structure of the story and how it puts the player in this special like metaphysical role to be able to mm-hmm. decide where the value in the story derives from. But uh, like many people have glommed onto that in a way that makes me feel, I think, optimistic for where a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is going. Because something like Roche in Final Fantasy Remake, also something that would traditionally probably be referred to as pretty meta in terms of the way he's just kind of airdropped into a narrative that predated him where he had Mm. no place being before, right? But I think, um, I don't know if it's a matter of the culture changing around it or gaming continuing to just like 
age and evolve as a medium uh, or gamers themselves growing up and getting interested in different kinds of stories. But the kind of storytelling devices that I think even 10 years ago would have felt very Baroque or esoteric or beyond the pale, I think gamers are not just recognizing, but kind of hungry for and excited to see, especially in stories that just, as you said about Yakuza, kind of use them without pretense and without breaking the fourth wall or aggressively Mm. pointing at them or something like that. I think the, maybe, maybe we've kind of reached critical mass with the like content mill um, that we've, we've griped about personally and in presentations and essays and all this kind of stuff. But like this idea of like constantly uh, going after like the tiniest details and trailers and breakdowns Mm. and stuff like this, I feel like maybe we're at the point uh, that we've evolved where like, so in the, in the time between installments for something, um, instead of people kind of going crazy with like breaking down trailers, because I feel like I've seen this happen more often where we don't get trailers for like years, <laughs> there will mm. just be an announcement and then nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, like right now I'll say the kingdom hearts community is putting out some really thoughtful stuff about what mm. kingdom hearts four will be about because we have nothing. And I think it's like, once you get past the, oh my God, his shoes are this color. What does it mean? (laughs) Like stupidity. You get into the like, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think now it's like that. I I mentioned that tweet is kind of a joke, but underneath that tweet um, of like the pixelated Roche, I saw a lot of people that were like, oh, I wonder what he's going to be doing. Like, why, where's he going to show up? You know, what's, what is that going to mean? And like thoughtful questions that weren't Mm. just like, oh, he's back, you know? (laughs) So I think maybe like the hunger for wanting to figure something out has transcended trailer Easter eggs and gone more into like, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder what the story is going to be like, because mm. Elden rings the same way. Like we haven't had anything since the announcement of it's shadow true. of the earth tree. Right. So maybe yep. people are like, let's think a little more deeply on this to see if we can scratch that itch. I saw something on my newsfeed the other day, um, which is not about gaming, but it was about one of the streaming platforms. You might've seen this too, but one of them, I forget which, reported that, I guess, on the whole, more of their subscribers rewatched old things than watched any new content in the past Interesting. year, in 2023. Mm. Uh, and I find myself wondering whether that's a bit of a broader trend, maybe based on, I don't know, where we are in the release cycle or how people are feeling post-COVID or whatever we want to call this particular era we're in now. Um but anecdotally, you know, doing the thing that I said we shouldn't be doing, taking my personal experience and extrapolating <laughs> it to everyone uh, with yeah. a blunt instrument. Um, I've had like, I've had this drafted tweet that I've, I've been thinking about publishing about last year for a while because I'd intended to do it um, for like my year in gaming in January, but then we were in Japan. So I totally missed that. Um, but Like last year, I mean, there were so many big releases, but I really found myself more inclined to sit with and think through and work with a lot of games, either from my gaming past or things that I had missed and always meant to go back to and revisit 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and without sort of the pressure of devouring something right on release, it did feel to me much more like just being able to sit with and appreciate and make sense of my experience as I was consuming it, kind of in the same way I did um you know, when I was first playing games as a kid and had no expectations of like keeping up with the media cycle or being ready to publish and talk about something as soon as it was out or anything like that. Right. So I wonder whether, again, you know, whether it's an artifact of the culture or, you know, gamers getting older and, you know, there being more of a history of games to go back to if people are kind of, or, or simply just exhausted with trailer culture, like you're saying, and wanting to Mm -hmm. go back to things that are these finished products that they can just engage with and think with on their own, as opposed to just being teased and teasing out tiny details of as, as more of a guessing game, you know? Well, I, I do know because I, I did the same thing. I, I mean, I, I think I, I had more, well, I know I, I engaged with more like new stuff just cause you were so in, in tales and all the, uh, the older <laughs> stuff for the most part. Right. But, um, I definitely know what you mean. And I think that, uh, I had that with, um, like I, 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 I have the rebirth trailer downloaded, but I haven't played it. And I think like years ago, I, well, I don't have to think, I know years ago when like the, the remake trail, uh, demo came out, I played it the day it dropped, Yeah. but now it's like, well, if I, if I play it, um, then I'll have like that because the way that it works is like you you play that demo and then you skip that part when you get the game because it's like yeah. the first chapter. And I was right. like, okay, I have a couple problems. Like the first problem <laughs> is um, the first problem is I'm going to want to play the rest when I get to the end of the chapter. Yeah. And the second problem is I'm going to want to play that chapter as a whole, like as part of the whole when I get yeah. to the game. Yeah. And so... I kind of switched the part of my brain off of like must consume into just like, no, hang on. Like let's, let's eat the meal that we want when we, when we want and how we want it. And I, uh, I was just thinking of like my grandmother so psyched to both see what's on the New York times bestseller list, but also go back to books she's never read in her long life, you know? And I feel like that's, a good mix. The substance of the the New Year's tweet that missed the timing was like, I think, you know, it, it is so nice to be able to do both of those things, right? Because you want to keep engaged and you want to pay tribute to these great creators who are continuing to innovate and tell new stories and advance the medium and all of that. But I think you also want to pay tribute to yourself as a reader and recognize that you have the agency to dive into the history of the medium and pick and choose whichever works you think are going to be like you said with yakuza right the thing you need at that moment to work through in a way that's going to be really personally rewarding for you right and striking a balance of those two things i think is hard but really important yeah i had the same thought about the demo for rebirth um i almost feel like i know that some games have done this i also know it's harder to do especially when the goal of a demo is to give something away for free in order to sell copies of the game. But like, you know, if they had done something 
on the same engine that was like intentionally and thoughtfully like a prologue setting things up, but yeah. that was sufficiently standalone. Like I would play that in a heartbeat, but I know I'm on the exact same wavelength as you because we also did this for Final Fantasy 16. We're like, I'm yeah. going to sit down and play that in one setting, capital O, capital S, right? <laughs> so the idea of starting with just like, a little spoon fed portion of that, especially when it's like going right to Nibelheim. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that That's and the thing. sit for 20 days. Like I, yeah, exactly. I think, okay, here's my recommendation to anybody who want is trying to get excited. If you, if you have to try to get excited, trying for, to get excited. Oh, yeah, for oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if you're you trying, it's probably not for you. Yeah. It's probably not for you. But if you, if you haven't, uh, like I do know people like this, if you haven't played the Yuffie DLC, play that mm, like play mm. that don't play the de- well yes. do whatever you want i'm not your mom but like <laughs> play play the the yuffie dlc uh because it's awesome and it's like yeah. really interesting and very cool and um and will surely tie into what they're doing next absolutely yeah i'm i'm very excited to see where they go and i think you know that's that's something that i'm content with so as we kind of round out the hour here and I always, you know, kind of bring it back to like what's on the docket, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to be realistic and say like, I'm just going to finish Yakuza and just really enjoy it because it's like a, <laughs> a sumptuous meal where it's, uh, literally like as, as much as I say, like I'm, there's points where I'm crying and getting choked up. That's all true. But then there's also points where and I've said this to you a million times, Aaron, but like I'm talking at the TV yep. where like um, there's this like all, all of the Yakuza games are mysteries. And so there's this intrigue where I'm like, you know, I'll say out loud, but he wouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, <laughs> things yeah. like that are like, no, I think he's in on it. You know, it's like, who right. am I talking? I'm talking to Odo, I guess my cat. But <laughs> yep. but no, I, that, I, I say these things to Evie, too. I'm with you. Yeah. And I think that um, that and then like real like laugh out loud incredibly clever yeah. jokes that are in mm. it and i think like it's just it's the whole package so i'm just gonna make a meal out of it and do, you know willingly do a hundred percent so that i can just get everything out of it it is fun to have a game you feel like you can just so willingly give your all to like that um especially in this day and age when there's so many things vying for our attention. And I know for both of us, it can be easy to fall into like rote multitasking. Like on my docket, I continue to just fall more in love. Surprise, surprise with tales of hearts, that lesser known tales game for the PS Vita that I've been playing. Um, And charming little things too. Like my, uh, my favorite funny moment in terms of things you wouldn't get in other tales games. Mm. uh, Now that I'm, fully ensconced in the mako bath of tales lore and experiences it's like there's there's a character who joins your party late in the game right um who has like a vested interest in protecting one specific member of the party mm-hmm. and so you're going along with him and you finish a dungeon and you reach the point where it's at the end and you're you know you you know how to play a video game so you know you're going to be fighting a boss but there's no obvious boss there so you just walk out of the dungeon and you're literally catching this new party member up on like what's happened in the story so far 
and he misunderstands and thinks that the party is responsible for hurting this character that he has to protect in a certain way. And (laughs) he like flies into a rage about it. And he's like, I have to exterminate you all. And so he becomes (laughs) the boss and leaves your party and you just have to beat the crap out of him. And then right afterwards, he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I misunderstood. misunderstood. And he's back in your party. I love that. laughing at my Vita in the middle of the night, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's like in in uh, in this game, the character that's voiced by the the guy who voices Dio is yeah. like one of the best. I mean, every every Yakuza game has like a cast of characters that are just amazing and instantly lovable. But he's so great, and his name is Yamai, and uh, he's like one of these guys who um, you you like you take a while to understand where he's coming from but then once you get him it's like i know exactly what you're going to say in every situ- in every yes. situation and there's a part you turn where, into joseph um, yeah there's, there's, a you'll say. Where, there's a part where like uh ichiban is getting him to do something and he's like um no you'll you'll look after her and like the party is like why are you trusting yabai like he's crazy and ichiban's like because if he were to do this it would mean like doing something nice for this guy he hates and he would never do that. And I said, like, as the cutscene was going on, like I said, as Yamai, like, Hey, this guy's smarter than he looks. And then Yamai goes, Hey, you're smarter than you look. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yep. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, I love that we can still, I guess that we're not like emotionless husks and that we can appreciate really funny things. <laughs> Man, and you know, I felt my age in the way you're talking about, in a good way, as opposed to all the bad ways in which I feel my age, like every aching bone in my body the other day, because (laughs) I was talking with someone, uh, and he was was reviewing a recent game that we both quite liked, and he didn't quite like so much, Um, and he said, yeah, you know, I was kind of miffed because I wanted the story to have more twists and turns, but it felt really predictable to me after a certain point, and I feel like Uh, it's got to do with everything we've been saying in the recent years about just a turn towards like optimism and taking a story seriously Mm. at its word rather than cynicism and second guessing things. But I really just like, I don't find myself being disappointed by having a strong sense of what's going to happen next in the story anymore. If anything, like what you're saying with Yamai, I feel like more often than not, it's a super strong indicator to me that there's been great representation of characters. I've been fully drawn into engaging with it. And so I'm perfectly like in sync with the game, right. To borrow from that other series we lampooned earlier. I'm at like 100% synchronization (laughs) with the game. It's the animus. That's right. (laughs) I, uh, no, I totally agree. I find it. Um, what I, what I think he probably would refer to as predictable. I would call cathartic. You know, where it's like, yep. this is, this is fulfilling. I'm, I like yeah. that I know what he's mm-hmm. going to say because it means I know who he is, you know? Yeah. And it sounds so simple, but it's true. Like, I'm glad that we're engaging with more games that feel like that because I, I do mm-hmm. feel like there was, we could do a whole episode or like write a book for God's sake about like the, the dearth of time that was just like, <laughs> I'll call it the evil within period because that Shinji Mikami <laughs> game. Like, just like, we're going to end on a cliffhanger because that's what we think we're supposed to do and nothing makes sense. And like, mm. you're left scratching your mm. head because we assume there's going to be a DLC, but we're not sure. So just yeah. assume that it'll finish when it's, you know, in three uh, months when you forgot about it. 
<laughs> the Xenoblade Chronicles Cross era. There you go. <laughs> or, uh, or I guess realistically, Assassin's Creed Three. Now that we're talking uh, about it, like yeah, <laughs> the moment I will say the scales that, fell from both our eyes. That's one of those things where also feeling my age, it's almost like it hasn't quite come around to the way I feel about the Thirteen trilogy and Final Fantasy. But I I do feel like as more time goes by. It's a testament to that franchise that my ire has not diminished one iota <laughs> for yeah. Assassin's Creed Three. It's been no. I don't even how many years has it been? When did that come out? Like nineteen ninety five. It was nineteen ninety five. Grandmaster Flash released it. It was <laughs> a very good year. I but not for game. Desmond. <laughs> he I, sucked a lot. I finished that game and I thought, wait a minute, have I just been duped the whole time? <laughs> Did they get me on this? <laughs> yes. Ubisoft, why? Uh, well, on that on that beautiful song, I think <laughs> that's that's all I got for this one. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm gonna finish up, and um, I'll come back, you know, next time with my uh, spoiler free reactions to how it wrapped up, but. I'm assuming that uh, based on the game's track record, I will have interesting and f- nice things to say. So I'm excited. I that. would put, I would put a final question to you because I put a pin in this a while ago and I just, I, I have to ask you because I'm, I'm genuinely interested before we mm. go. So with a series like tales or final fantasy for that matter, part of the virtue, I think of it being thematically continuous rather than within a single timeline is that fans of different ages can discover it at different points and find mm. their into the series. Right. We were talking about this on tales of praxis tonight, actually, in terms of there being like a generation of gamers who found tales with tales of symphonia and then a the next generation that seems to have found it with tales of berseria. And so as a similar kind of personal attachment to it, and then you're in and you can explore the whole thing. Is mm. it, harder or more of a barrier of entry to Yakuza for that reason, where, because like you talk about it as this kind of epic historical saga that spans a single person's life. And I feel like knowing how I think about these games, I would be doing it a disservice if I were to start anywhere except the very beginning. I think I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, but my entry point was seven. Um, and it got me so excited. And I think it's one of those series that um, lets you kind of come in at any point. And, you know, it'll it'll kind of draw you in. Here's the real, the real strength of it is that it's one of those games where, or one of those series where, again, the archetype of the character is so strong that you know who Kiryu is, you know who Ichiban is. Like it's very easy to ingratiate yourself with, within their life, no matter where you kind of go in. But the other thing that they do is they will either set it in a time period, like Yakuza Zero does, where it sets it in the mid to late eighties, um, where it's like, okay, that's the hook, right? Like the the world is the hook, or Kiryu will have to go somewhere that's not like Tokyo. Like he'll have to go to Osaka or he'll have to go to um, a place called like Onomichi, right? Like he, there's all of these different like locales where because the, the side quests are so specific to where you go and the stories are so specific to that place, Kiryu kind of becomes like the everyman 
insert for you where you just get to see this place and come to find out like who he is. So, um, through the, through the place and the people you're interacting with. So I think what's nice is that he changes, but the change is so gradual that you don't, it wouldn't be jarring to go from like two to six. I don't Mm. think because six would be like, Hey, this is what happened. (laughs) And then (laughs) you'd be over it, you know? And it's Mm. like, this is what happened. And this is what we're doing in this one. And here's Kiryu and here's what's happening. Right. Mm. So I think that like, it's one of those things where I, that all being said, I would either recommend if someone wants to get into it, there's three places you can start. You can either start like I did with like a dragon, um, especially if you're an RPG fan, because it's set up like a turn-based RPG, right? You could go to Yakuza zero and then play through all of them chronologically, because it is a series that unlike kingdom hearts works, whether you play it in release order or chronological order, like it, Hmm. it works both ways. I think there's strengths to either play through. Or you could start at, uh, it's called Yakuza Kiwami, which means Origins, which is the first one remade on the PS4. Mm. Um, and you could just like play through them as they kind of came out. But I think that's, those three are the entry points I would recommend. I don't know why you would like start on Yakuza 3, unless that's the only game you owned <laughs> like in 2006. Sure. But, right. you know, <laughs> that's, that's what I'd recommend. That's interesting. We we might have to put a pin in a whole other um, podcast topic because I I don't think I had clocked before that you think uh, there's only one way to play Kingdom Hearts in order. So that might be fun to talk about at some point. Yeah, the the order it was released in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, people have different views about that. They do, and I have uh, strong counter views to it. But <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, you strong counter views on Kingdom Hearts. I will. I know that's shocking, but I will say there, I play them however you like what I have strong counter views against are ways that things are written about that. So anyway, that is a, we'll put a pin in that for another episode. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so play Yakuza. I will be and, uh, play tales. Aaron will be forever. Yeah. Come, uh, come live with me in the never ending post game of tales of graces F. And then when we finish at some point in 2025, we'll be moving on to <laughs> tales of Exilia. Yeah. Fun. I saw your, I saw your tweet. So you're going to, you're going to be doing, um, one and two. Zillia That's the plan Zillia because, two, yeah. um, really the only mothership titles that I have yet to play for my tales of praxis review are Tales of Exilia and Tales of Legendia. And I've played Legendia before. As you know, I have started and did not complete multiple times Exilia. And so I figured, especially at this point, when we have a little steam in the engine for the stream and we have some people in the stream regularly who are big fans of Exilia, it'd be really fun to take the dive into playing through full-length titles that I had never done um, doing it for the first time on the stream. So I think it'll be really cool. Uh, they're deeply beloved. They're very complicated. Uh, <laughs> they are multiple in more ways than one. Uh, they're, you know, There's two of them, but there are also multiple storylines and things like that. So I think oh, it's yeah. going to be an undertaking, but a really, a really fun one. I'm excited about it. Awesome. Well, very nice. Then I'll say until next time, Enjoy yourselves, stay safe, be good, 
and uh, we'll talk very soon. Game on.